You finish your morning routine and look outside to find the skies are gray. The winds are chilly. The streets are empty. Everyone's tucked away at home. You think, this is the perfect time, and slide on your VR headset. Soon, water drips and the sound echoes around you. The walls of a cave stretch above. You grab your gun and silently sight down the barrel at an enemy guard. You squeeze the trigger. Then the muffled shot strikes its target. You are a trained killing machine. But where are you? Hello and welcome to Head Mounted Destinations. This is a podcast about VR games and VR game development. I'm Matt. I'm Carlos. And today we're talking about Phantom Covert Ops, and more broadly, how VR games can fulfill fantasies and immerse the player in a much different and potentially much richer way than traditional flat games can. So, Phantom Covert Ops. In this game, you take on the role of Phantom Zero Two, an elite military agent tasked with investigating intel on a thought-to-be-dead General Nikolai Zurov. You need to row, hide, shoot, and complete objectives across a single-player campaign that takes you through a Russian uh, military base that's sunken and filled with both water and enemies. So let's touch on the storytelling first, as I think that's uh, pretty central. Um, you know, in your description, you just gave uh, focused a lot on where you are, what you're doing, who you are, and it's important. It's an important part of immersion is having some sort of uh, storytelling framework. Uh, contextualizing everything yeah i think phantom covert ops did a very cool uh job of like building this world around you and getting you into the fantasy of like you're this tactical military guy um the story itself was kind of predictable but it was still very fun to to experience and even sort of knowing what twists and turns might come ahead was still part of the fun it's kind of like cheesy b-movie style story but I would definitely appreciate that more than not having a story at all. Yeah. They tell most of the story through uh, voiceover over the comms, through radio chatter, as well as through a couple of cutscenes where you're seeing uh, characters in the world. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, in most of those cases, uh, those characters are really far away from you. So you never really... And I played on Quest, so maybe the visual difference on uh, Rift or on PC is better where you could see the character models but on quest you couldn't really see the character models very well so you don't actually you couldn't really identify the characters like via face or body detail until maybe the very end when uh, during the credits they showed those characters up close the one exception is the intro cinematic right yeah yeah the the best cinematic of the game or the best like yeah, best cinematic slash narrative moment of the game is probably the intro because it uh, really grounds you in the game, like on a gameplay level. And then it also really puts you into the story. It grounds you in the story by having your tactical supervisor in front of you, giving you the spiel about who you are and where your weapons are. Um, and uh, you're getting like the comms information through your head. And eventually they like drop you out onto the map. Um, but I think that was uh, really cool really well executed um better than the other cinematic i think there was only one other cinematic where they had a character up close to you but uh they were fully camouflaged up and had a face mask so there wasn't really much like emoting and interaction there there's one other uh way that they tell story um besides the cutscenes and the vo and that's through the guards that you encounter throughout the level you'll paddle up and there'll be two guards and they'll just be having a conversation. And it honestly, that was the most compelling uh, part for me. I loved listening to that stuff. Uh, it was it set the stage a little bit talking about the characters like, oh, did you hear Zurov killed that scientist that crossed him as well as just inserting a little bit of uh, comedy or, or generally like giving personality to these people because the, the plot's a very B-movie plot. And so the the guards really actually felt like people more than the main characters in the story. Yeah, I I think I liked the idle chatter from the guards the most, um, definitely on the more comedic side. It just felt like a good juxtaposition to the <laughs> overall serious tone of the rest of the game. Yeah, I was I found myself drawing parallels to Trover because um, in that game, 
you'll wander up and there will be two yeah. baddies who are, you know, having these ridiculous conversations where you can just keep listening and they keep going. Yeah, that game is full on just indulgence in terms of like dialogue. Exactly. I was thinking that's probably something that more games could do in the future. More VR games is have as much side conversation as possible. Because that's the thing that we encounter in the real world is people, you overhear conversations and you have some context, but it's like a little bit interesting. Um, and if that isn't there at all, the world feels kind of empty. So it's good that they had that. But really, the story isn't the point here. Um, the story just exists in order to frame what you're actually doing during the game. The point of the game is to immerse you, to make you feel cool. Right, you're this operative, you're going through the space, you're being tactical, you're you're shooting and you're paddling a kayak. That's what you're actually doing in the game. Yeah. Um, and that's that's where the immersion comes in and the fantasy fulfillment is the things that you're actually doing. So let's talk about the we will we'll talk about both the locomotion and the uh gun handling, but let's talk about the lo locomotion first. Yeah, the locomotion is really interesting. Um because we don't really have too many VR games where you're paddling to move around. I believe it's only this and Journey to Elysium. Um, so really, like, in order to move around in this game, you are not using a thumbstick to move your character's legs. You're not swinging your arms to pantomime walking. Uh, and uh, what you're actually doing is holding a paddle with two hands, one hand at each end, and then mimicking the paddling motion of like sticking the one side into the water, pushing it back, sticking the other side into the water, pushing it back in order to propel yourself forward. Um, but you can also like row backward uh, and do like sharper turns by sticking your paddle into the water uh, in order to like do a break, but. Um, they also let you like hold a button, uh, whichever side that you're about to put into the water. If you hold one of the face buttons, when you put it into the water, it'll like trigger a sharper turn. Um, so yeah, I found this to be really fun. Like, uh, if anything, the, the paddling motion, that type of gameplay did keep me coming back for quite a bit. Um, and I think I would go back to play a level again when i felt like having that type of experience it's it's very unique to the market right now i think yeah i think it was very notable because a lot of locomotion in vr games it's very high abstraction right using a joystick to like walk around in the world that's not a real thing even swinging your arms is like that's you don't move around the world by swinging your, your arms you move right. around in the real world by moving your legs so it's really only like one step above just room scale games in terms of how close it is to what you would be doing in real life. Like you actually are making the same kayaking motions, uh, which is really cool. It's very, very immersive. Um, but it is uh, still kind of arcadey. It's not like super realistic simulationist. You know, if anyone has ever uh, actually gone kayaking, um, it's it really you don't have to take into account a lot of the things that you have to take into account when you're actually kayaking, such as the paddle orientation, right? You can slap the water however you want, and that yeah. moves you forward. But that's good, because you're using motion controllers. You can't actually feel the resistance of the water against your uh, paddle. And that type uh -huh. of action might actually like hurt the user after a while. Like some people, let's say maybe you have arthritis or some sort of wrist issue, like doing the twisting and reorienting of the paddle in real life would probably be painful. But it, just having your motion controllers and being able to comfortably do your hands, I guess like for the most part, you need your hands in more of a horizontal formation. But just having that as the loose guideline is like very, uh, it's a good level of, of abstraction because it's comforting to the end user. Right. And they do even allow you to to degrade uh, your motion and, and do something that really isn't a paddling motion at all, which you mentioned uh, Journey for Elysium. In that game, if you sort of spin your arm, instead of rowing horizontally, if you row like vertically and sort of move the, the paddle end over end uh, in line with the direction you're going you can get going really fast uh, and it, it will 100% the paddle is goes from your left hand to your right hand in uh, phantom 
if you do that same motion, it will really only allow you to move your paddle up to like 45 degree tilt. It won't let you go full vertical. And so you can do this very like lazy little hand motion and still get a full paddle, which is good because in this, you know, reality where you're a, an operative, uh, you're like a special, special operations guy, like that guy doesn't get tired. And so you shouldn't get tired either. And so allowing the player to do the, do this very lazy motion actually enables you to stay in the, the fantasy. Yeah. Um, what's, what is cool though, is, is that you can, uh, change your momentum with, uh, like handholds in the world. So when you roll up to like a bridge or something you need to interact with, you could actually like grab a handlebar and then, uh, gently like push yourself off to the side or like you can move yourself around once you've actually grabbed something in the world, but you sort of feel that slowness that comes with, you know, pulling a boat around water. Um, I think that just kind of like felt pretty nice yeah for all the fact that this game is about you're in a kayak the ways that you can move around the world not paddling your kayak are just as important i think to the immersion the handholds and you can also push off of the world with the paddle like if you're in a tight area like you would in real life you can push with the paddle off of a surface and it's even more intuitive than it would be in real life if you're in a super tight area you can both regularly paddle and push off of stuff even if you know the paddle would actually be hitting walls in real life um and i think that adds to the the immersion as much as the regular locomotion yeah i think they added in some level of leniency that was really uh good because it allows the user to like, it, it would have been very easy to say, as soon as the paddle hits the wall, like, apply force to, like, get the player away. But this would have resulted in something very jarring where, like, you know, as soon as your paddle touches the wall, you're, like, jutting in a certain direction or getting some force applied to you, which it could be very nauseating to the player. So it sort of feels like, it almost feels like a platform nine and three quarters type deal where, where like if, <laughs> if your, if your paddle is going at the right speed in the sense of like, do they know that you're paddling? Then let it clip the wall and just like do your thing. Otherwise, if it's like a slow movement, then it, it, it almost knows that like if you're doing, if you're pushing the oar or the paddle against the wall slowly, then you want to like <laughs> be pushing your boat away. Yeah. I don't, and I think that's like very, very cool but and very subtle so like you need to play it a lot to pick up on it and it's definitely appreciated um but also like uh, the other things that i really appreciate are the very immersive moments that come from navigating around these environments uh especially in the in the boat because you feel extra exposed being that you're on the water right and uh pretty much have no cover besides like bushes and stuff maybe but these immersive moments really embody the like I am a tactical stealth operative like type scenario. So you'll have setups where you could row near or under enemies. Like uh, they'll be walking on bridges that are literally half a foot above your head and you could see through them. So like when you row under them, you could look up in some cases you can like take them out that way. Uh, listen to those idle conversations that way and sometimes being in the tall grass when like these huge enemy gunships just like whiz by and they put the spotlight on you but because you're in grass you know you're hidden like those those moments are very cool and they help to keep the player grounded in uh in the moment-to-moment gameplay yeah you really feel like you're in a space and that there's stuff around you I don't know. It's a very vague way of putting it, but yeah. But compared to the reality, which is you are in your room and you are in some room and like, you know, your regular life is around you, but now you are now you more so feel like you're in Russia, in a kayak, in this sunken environment and hostiles are around you. Like moments, moments like that, where you're under the bridge and really trying to like scout out enemy patrols. That's when you forget the four walls around you and are yeah. taken to that head mounted destination. Yeah. One moment, uh, really springs to mind with that. Um, and this was totally a scripted moment, but it, it really nailed that in terms of making me feel like I'm in this kayak and not in my living room is it's at the beginning of a level about halfway through the campaign. Um, 
it's this level where there's a bunch of snipers and the main mechanic is if you make too much movement or sound, uh, then the snipers will look in your direction with their laser beam. So at the very beginning, you paddle out. Um, I think you're moving through like a sunken uh, bus or something. And there's some birds and you scare the birds and immediately the sniper beam snaps to the area right by you. And you're like, oh, shit, and stop. And that's like a thing that happens in real life is you scare animals and they make sound. And it's like just it was such a small moment, but it it engaged me so much for that entire level. Yeah. And it's a very good design moment of showing you how enemies uh how enemies act and react to different inputs in the game being that the birds made noise or they caused some sort of visual distraction. And that brought the sniper line over to their direction, which you end up later using in that level. And for a boss fight down the road, like, yeah, that, that level was very fun. I think this is a good transition. We can talk about weapon handling a little bit. Um, Cause that's the second half of what you're really doing in the game. Yeah. So in this game, you have uh, three different classes of weapon. You have like your pistol, your sniper rifle, and your uh, SMG or assault rifle. Uh, I guess those are kind of like separate classes, but you have three slots essentially. Um, So these are, it's a really cool inventory uh, system in terms of like keeping the player grounded because everything is, uh, is, is kind of on you like you have the pistol you have the sniper rifle you have the assault rifle if you drop a weapon it'll pop back into the slot on your body kind of the same for ammo and uh, equipment as long as you're not like you know throwing a a sound distraction out uh on purpose like that won't respawn but if you accidentally fumble something into the water it'll come back i really love the way that the equipment was was tied to you in a very physical way um you learn these motions of when I want my sniper rifle, I reach to a certain position. When I want my pistol, I reach to a certain position. There were definitely moments where I was spotted by someone that I didn't see before. I'm like, oh no, this guy's about to raise the alarm. So hand goes to chest, grab the pistol, aim, shoot. Um, And they also do this thing where when you're detected, they slow down time, which is a really smart design decision because it allows you to execute on that motion and that potentially tricky shot with plenty of leeway, but you still, you're still feeling the panic of, I don't want to be detected, but it's allowing you to succeed. Um, and just that way that those motions, uh, it's tied very physically to not only points in the game, but points in real space, I think added a lot to the, it felt physical, the whole space. It really felt like I was in the, the virtual world. Yeah, especially for a game that is a it's it's primarily played. You should just sit down. You're going to be facing forward um, and there's never really any need to like spin around 360 because you're in this kayak. It's it's really cool that they found a way to both ground you and also like ground you in the space and also keep you so aware of your environment around you, considering that you're always just sitting down and facing forward. It's a very, mm-hmm. very good job on their end. And uh, that slowdown mechanic, I I remember seeing it in Metal Gear Solid V uh, Phantom Pain. And I know that I know this game, Phantom, was uh, very much inspired by the Metal Gear Solid series and stuff like that. So I think I think this was definitely this mechanic was like a nod to that game. I wonder how much thought actually went into like, Oh, we need to provide the player time to like fumble with their things in order to kill this guy versus like metal gear did this and it was cool. So let, let's do that. <laughs> I think it's also, so it's worth taking a moment to talk about the sniper scopes um, and the way that just the gun handling in general works. Um, Cause this is something back when you had played the game uh, initially and you're like telling me about it, like, Oh, you got to try this out. The scopes, is one of the things that you mentioned um, because it's a pretty unique implementation. So just to describe it briefly, uh, when you raise the gun to the sniper rifle to your eye, um, it blacks out one eye um, entirely, except for a circle on the screen. um, And it's representing you looking through the scope uh, and it's a zoomed in view. But the position of that circle is tied to your, uh, hand your outer hand that you're holding uh the barrel 
of the rifle with. And this allows you to make very precise, uh, intentional aiming motions with the gun. This is like, I think the only implementation like this that I've seen in, in VR before. Uh, typically in games with sniper scopes, there it's either the scope is like a little video screen that just shows the view directly uh, in line with the gun, which is very unrealistic. Right. The other implementation is sort of having it be what it would look like in real life, where it's the actual scope. It like magnifies what the view that you would be seeing with your your eye. What Phantom does is sort of an in-between where you don't have to finagle with holding the gun super steady because it snaps. It's essentially showing what you would be seeing through the scope, but it snaps one end of the gun to your face. So you don't have to be steady with both hands. You just be steady with one hand. Um, and it leads to you're, you're able to aim very precisely um, despite the fact that you aren't actually holding a gun and you can't steady it against your body. Yeah, to that effect, I'd say that uh, in my playthrough of the game, the pistol and the sniper felt uh, the best. They also felt like the coolest weapons because they were the stealthiest options. So for me, like getting immersed even further meant using the pistol and the sniper the most. And it, thankfully, the sniper did have that tuning and that interesting take um, on the scoping in because it did it was it was a very interesting visual like i i would liken it to say the intro the popular james bond intro of like the circle hovering over james bond before he turns to kill the guy um but this time you're controlling the circle with your hand in order to like position your sniper uh mm -hmm. and yeah i I pretty much didn't have any times when I was using the sniper and thinking like, oh, I'm like fumbling it around. Like if I missed a shot, it felt like it was way on me. But going into sort of the more stealthy elements, uh, let's talk about the binoculars because this kind of works similarly to the uh, scope in in the sense of when you take this object and put it near your eyes, your binoculars, uh, you're, you kind of like fade to black and then night vision turns on and you're seeing through the lens of the binoculars there's like this ui square uh over your night vision and it says your objective at all times uh when you have the binoculars on um it also allows you to like tag enemies oh and it does it in a really cool way uh I like this and I really want to see more games do it. Uh, I hopefully will be able to tinker around with it myself. But basically, when you have the binoculars on, if you pull the trigger, like if you were taking a Polaroid picture, um, you can like tag enemies and objectives. Uh, it also tags like things you can shoot to make distractions in the world. And when you take the binoculars off, these markers, these in-world UI markers actually stay on the enemies, even more so like leaning into that Far Cry slash Crisis style of like enemy takedown and surveillance. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I thought this was like super cool. Uh, really would love to see it utilized more. I thought the binoculars, I didn't really make much of them until you called it out. And then I started thinking on it more and I was like, this is like a really cool really brilliant way of doing it because it's it's basically it's doing two things one is it's allowing you to tag enemies and and tag distractions that you can shoot and that kind of stuff and the other one is it's allowing you to see your objective um and so it's sort of serving both the purpose of a like map view that you would pull up in a you know traditional non-vr game um, and see your objective in the world and where you're going as well as like marking stuff but it's a totally diegetic way where you're doing this motion this physical motion to bring the binoculars up to your face yeah it's it's an awesome thing and i hope we see more of it in uh other games yeah i think i think handheld cameras can be a very they could potentially be their own genre in vr because they lean into VR's strengths, but I think we could talk more on that another time. Um, what else there is in terms of like locating your enemies and stuff like that uh, is a radar on your boat. It's like sat right in front of you about hip uh, waist level. Um, and it is a radial radar and uh, it tells you like basically what direction enemies are 
It shows enemies that have detected you, right? No, it it just displays it displays any enemy, but then I th- it, I think it gives them a color to which uh, assigns like how much they detect you. So white means undetected, yellow means semi-aware, and then red means fully aware. Right. Because I was noticing the it 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 does this sort of weird thing where if an enemy that's detected you when it when that enemy uh moves to another sector of the radar because you're it's radial right yeah it it beeps oh yeah it's annoying which is weird because most of the time they're changing their sector on the radar because you're actually turning your boat and so it's like oh no i've been detected and i'm turning my boat thanks for letting me know game (laughs) yeah so like the radar problems aside, I thought it was like just a cool element to have in the world. Again, it held to that grounding experience um, mm-hmm. and it, it had the hidden indicator, which was like, I'm very glad it was there and that it was straightforward in the sense of like, it just straight up says hidden, uh, like it's like hidden, spotted or something like that. Uh, even though in real life, it'd be kind of weird <laughs> if you had this little LED screen that was like, telling you how detected you were yeah i think that's a fantastic example of how it it doesn't make any sense in terms of realism but it lets you play out the fantasy much better because you know whether or not you're hidden or exposed yeah and it's weird that they didn't have a noise meter then because they're clearly okay with having this sort of non-realistic indicator that lets you tap into the game mechanics yeah, exactly. And like even to the to the non-realistic aspect, like the beeping when the section is changed on the radar, right. like like, you know, that doesn't make much sense, but it it's cool that it happens. It's nice that it's there. Mhm. It gives you information about the world. Exactly. Everything's delivering information to you through all your equipment. And they play off that really well because you spend I think the first two missions uh getting used to how the game works, um, getting introduced to all the mechanics, and then uh, something happens in the campaign and they take away all of your equipment. So you don't have the radar, you don't have the binoculars, you don't have the hidden indicator, and you have to navigate, you don't, you don't have your weapons, you have to navigate your way through the level, and you have to stay hidden in the grass and avoid detection, and you can't kill people if they detect you because you don't have your guns. So you're forced to take these rules that you've been learning and really apply them. Like the training wheels are taken off. And for me, that did an amazing job of putting me in this space and making me pay attention and be like, okay, I'm in this grass. These people can't see me. And it just like, it grounded you, it grounded me in a way that, uh, or it took it one step deeper, I'll say. Yeah, I agree that. That mission was very cool, uh, very fun in the sense of it. I, I'd almost liken it to uh, the moment in Star Wars where Luke is told to take off his targeting reticle or whatever to let his <laughs> instincts take over. It's not. It's nothing as like fantastical as that, but it's like it, it is like, hey, all this stuff that we had like giving you an overload of information we're now just going to take that away and allow you to read the information for yourself since like they basically like gave you almost like the cheat sheet on how to like read the land and then halfway through they took away all your cell phones and cheat codes and stuff um and they did that by scaring the shit out of you but (laughs) with a with the with an enemy looking character so as i mentioned earlier in the ep- in uh, in this conversation um that there is another cutscene where uh, someone approaches you face to face and this is that other scenario except they're disguised as an enemy combatant so you like you have this wall in front of you like a garage door i think that you lift up or a storefront door that you lift up and then boom just like enemy dude two feet in front of you holding an ak and like i i like jumped in my seat because like yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> no we did you don't have any weapons at that time you can't you can't shoot them so you're just fully powerless and then you find out like oh okay this is a good guy uh they're gonna help you out but but damn did that like freak me out um and you know i could tell i was halfway through the game because uh this character was completely covered (laughs) yeah (laughs) and just move and just kind of idling while they spoke to me (laughs) 
Yeah, well, it was one of the characters. Most of the characters uh, have mouths, but it would they chose the model of the like high-ranking guard character, which is wearing a red face mask. I'm assuming they did this so they didn't have to do lip sync animation to the VO, but it means like he's totally indistinguishable from anyone else, from these people that you've been killing previously. Yeah. So speaking of like not wanting to create new assets, uh, (laughs) (laughs) we actually have a big part of this game that is uh, going through uh, the, the, the whole game over again. Uh, so basically meaning the environment. So you go through, uh, the sunken military base, you find out information X, Y, Z, and then a set piece happens that takes away all your weapons and kind of kerfuffles the mission. And you end up having to go and, uh, retread the environments that you saw in the first like half of the game, but now you're taking them through like different, uh, pathways most of the time and doing different objectives uh as well as having like uh some different equipment and enemy uh locations uh so i thought this was cool definitely you know you want to maximize uh the usage of your content without making the player sick of it and i think they did a fair to really good job doing that here yeah in in the past vr games have sometimes been penalized for reusing content too much um, just because you want to make as much playtime as possible from as little work as possible just from a budget angle. But I thought the the reuse of levels was actually super clever and, and done in a good way. You recognize these areas once you start going through them the second time, the third time, and you're like, oh, this is this corner where this like a boat can come around and surprise me. So I need to go for this grass area. Um, And it gives you a sense of mastery. It's you're learning the space. You're becoming more competent, which plays into the fantasy element of being a badass. I did feel like it, I didn't have as good of an understanding of the overall layout as I could have though. In fact, I didn't even realize until about halfway through the campaign that I was going through the same spaces, and then after that, I couldn't use that information to like make choices of like going left or right or navigating around enemies, that kind of thing. Um, and it almost felt like some decision had changed halfway through production where it was originally supposed to be a little more nonlinear. There's even a voice line in the beginning where they they call out like, oh, there's this panel, but you can't you don't have the tools to open it right now. Uh, which really hinted to sort of a Metroidvania type structure where eventually you'll gain an ability and then you can come back to this area, you know, if you want and expand this other thing with your new abilities. Um, And they just didn't do that. It was a linear campaign all the way through, but just reusing geometry um, and, and the levels. Yeah. And it's a little weird in a linear, uh, in a linear sense to tell the player like, Hey, you're not ready for this. Uh, but, don't, but you're going to come back to it later. Probably, uh, like it's weird to get that in a linear sense. Whereas in Metroidvania or in those more exploration upgrade focused games, you kind of get the upgrades at your somewhat at your own pace and then do the exploration later. Um, the game doesn't necessarily like <laughs> verbally tease you that, uh, you know, you can't do this now, come back later. It does in one case, but uh, yeah. Uh, I agree, though, that uh, I didn't have an understanding of the overall map. Uh, I think it was at the very beginning of the game where you saw a 3D hologram representation of the base during a codec conversation, and I thought that was very good. Like, I really liked that map. I was actually hoping to see that map at, like, the beginning of every level, almost Mm -hmm. in the old-school gamey sense of, like, uh, what is it, Ghosts and Goblins and maybe Castlevania in some sense, where like you you see the macro level and your character progressing through the macro map, uh, but we did not get that. We got like just one viewing of the base as a 3D representation, and they did draw your line, your, your mission line of how you're supposed to go through the base, but they never re-reference it. Um, and there are landmarks, but they're not 
but the landmarks are identifiable, but not like the areas themselves. So I can't tell like, ooh, Sniper Tower is actually just east of like the very beginning of the game or something yeah. like that. Like, I don't know where anything is in relation to each other. And yeah. that's not as important when you're doing a linear like level based game versus a more uh open maybe wide linear or open world style game so i can forgive them for for not giving us a huge sense of the overall layout but it would have been cool to actually see a visual representation of the overall layout more to at least yeah. appreciate like the big base that they built yeah and i could definitely see a direction for the game where they lean more into that continuity of space idea where you you can go back and maybe there's they do this a little bit with in the later missions where you're blowing up uh radar installations um or it's like anti-air installations whatever and like you have somewhat of a choice but they definitely could have leaned into the the trade-offs you know they have this whole set of mechanics where you're interacting with the world but it's like it's just a there's no there's no player choice to be made um there, there's no trade-off so yeah. that, that felt like a little bit of a, a vestigial like design decision that was made at some point you know we've talked about the locomotion we've talked about the guns which are the main things you're doing but there's also this whole aspect where you're interacting with the world in other uh subtle ways yeah so like uh what we were mentioning with the welding is uh you have like these different tools on you that can interact with the world and sort of help you either open up pathways or complete objectives and all of this stuff is usually marked by yellow paint very modern game design style a la assassin's creed and other ubisoft titles uh in this game everything is marked yellow that you can like grab or interact with uh in terms of like world objects your games are, uh your guns are not yellow and whatnot I thought those was really good. Like I, I like the solid color communication, like the the color scheme communication. Uh, the tools that you can, the tools that you'll like have on you. Uh, I believe you start with a like cordless compact drill driver to like unscrew these panels. And when you unscrew the panels, you can like pull fuse boxes out of them. Again, the handles of the fuse boxes are marked with yellow. This gets replaced with a blowtorch, and the blowtorch, both of these tools are used very similarly. You just, like, hold the trigger, and then you keep the the tip of the gun to whatever you need to focus it on. So instead of unscrewing the panel, you're now un you're unwelding the thing, whatever. You're, like, burning off screws with the blowtorch as, as opposed to unscrewing things. Uh, the blowtorch also gives you the ability to uh, destroy padlocks, which, like, opens up these... Uh, two-handed gate doors um, so speaking about the doors you have like waterways that can be opened up by pulling a yellow chain down hand over hand which I found to be fun and immersive I like the chain pulling thing I remember part of uh, some part of Asgard's Wrath used that motion and it got me uh, excited so uh, also pulling up garage doors this is like more of the simple like reach kind of below something and then pull it upward uh, it's like a big metal storefront door. Um, you can also pull down levers to open some waterways and unlocking door latches, like with the padlock thing. You can you can do a whole bunch of stuff. We mentioned the handholds and pushing off with the paddle. Uh, so all of there. So all of this is to say that there is a lot of things. Uh, there's like a a somewhat wide array of things that you can interact with in the world. And while they're not numerous, they're present enough to keep you grounded in every level, every environment that you paddle through. Yeah, one of the things that was surprising to me was that despite the fact that they have all these different ways in which you can touch the world and, and you have to do that as you're moving through the world, they weren't necessarily tied into the stealth aspect of it. Like you can even, at least in the um, Oculus version or the the... PC version. I don't know about the Quest version, but you, like you can splash the water with your hand and like make ripples and stuff. But when you're in the tall grass, you you don't really rustle the grass with your hands. Um, like you don't have to worry about making noise in the grass. And like that seems like another key way in which you could have interacted with the world that would be tied into the stealth aspect. So it's. But I definitely agree that all the different ways in which you can touch the world uh you know open doors that kind of thing 
super important. If that wasn't in the game, the game would be a lot poorer. That that's the key thing. It, it breaks up the pacing of like having the row so much or having to take out enemies. It just throws a nice wrench in there. Yeah. So Matt, you mentioned uh, the sniper intro earlier, um, and something I thought was really cool in this game. It was very uh engaging and grounding was the sniper boss fight uh mm -hmm. i think it was like it did a really good job of keeping you aware of the world and then like making you utilize the tools that we just talked about to impact that world around you so in this battle you are in a kind of confined sunken area with a lot of debris around and there is a central red tower almost like seattle space needle looking structure and there's a sniper at the top of it that has full view over like the area so you as the covert op need to use those birds and other distractions to keep that sniper looking away from you while you paddle up to the different support uh tethers to that sniper tower and use your blowtorch to uh up use your blowtorch get it lit and then like use it on the tether for X amount of time in order to actually make the tether snap. And if you do this, I believe three times, very classic design style, the tower <laughs> will fall over and you beat the boss. Um, so this was very cool to me because like it wasn't a, it wasn't a simple like shoot me type boss fight where I need to like f actually directly kill an enemy because it made me aware of like the level around me in the sense of like what are my distractions like i'm using my binoculars to spot distractions strategizing about which ones am i going to shoot and how will that impact my rowing path um and like how quickly can i row to the next tether going from that macro thinking to then the micro thinking of like okay i made it like just close enough to the tether i grabbed the handhold sweet i'm like I'm behind cover for just a moment. I'm going to grab my blowtorch, grab this tether, forget this whole thing. I'm just going to like burn this tether and ah, like that going between the macro thinking of the level and navigating it to the micro thinking of like grabbing my equipment, interacting with the world and then jumping back and forth on that uh, is really cool. Especially there was actually one part where I was like, I think it might have been the last tether where I was like burning it and I was like just ever so slightly out of cover. So like, so she just kept taking shots at me, the sniper boss. Mm -hmm. uh, like I wasn't getting hit, but I was hearing the bullets and seeing the laser just like whiz closer and closer to my head. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, like the cable snaps and suddenly she's screaming like, no, you've defeated me yeah. and all that. Um, so that that whole thing was a really good like climax uh, for gameplay for me. Yeah, it really epitomizes the design decisions they make in this game where it's all about trying to pull you into the world and and ground you there so matt let's talk yeah. about how this game measures up to other titles in the vr space right now um i think i think it's a pretty good title overall honestly in terms of like playtime uh in terms of like playtime and content there's like a good content to dollar ratio i believe the title was 30 um and uh with that 30 dollars, you get seven missions which will take you somewhere about three to six hours to complete with uh like we mentioned the the fun but predictable story uh on top of the seven missions you get 19 challenges at this current time there was 14 challenges at launch they've since added one dlc pack i think that's really cool that the developers went and put in the extra work uh to actually like make more content after the launch of the game i think it helps to like build good faith with the with the consumers albeit it is very difficult to do that on the developer side so it's like I'm kind of just giving them an extra shout out to say thanks guys for working even longer after you've probably been tired of the game for so many months to give us a couple of fun challenges. Um, yeah. But yeah, all in all, um, I think it's a very good value proposition. Yeah, it, it sits at this interesting intersection. VR games have typically been penalized for if, if they're too arcadey. People sort of want like whole single player campaign content. Uh, they don't want 
you know, a last gen wave shooter or, or whatever, something like that. But I think this game does, it hits an interesting balance um, with the challenge modes. At the end of missions, you get a rack up that gives you a, a score from like A to F or whatever, uh, based on what different actions you performed throughout the level. Um, you know, how many people did you have to kill? How many times did you get seen? That kind of thing. And that's very arcadey, which would almost seem like it goes against the grounded, immersive fantasy fulfillment quality because real operatives don't get, you know, point ratings at the end of their missions. Um, but I, I thought it actually worked quite well to get me to, to keep playing at least. I agree. Uh, I think the the aspect of the scoring and the grading, it always helps to increase replay value. And we see it in plenty of games that are like very narrative focus, you know, like Grand Theft Auto has this system where like you have these story focused missions and then like you can replay them for a better score or whatever, maybe get a collectible. What I want to point out is interesting is that uh, we're talking about immersing the player so much and making them this character, but how the arcadey aspect of that rack up it feels okay. I think that feels okay because somewhere subconsciously we accept that we are like we are in a in a play more so mm-hmm. than we are in someone else's like life moment to moment. So the act of like finishing a mission and seeing the fade to black, that's that's us knowing like the curtains are closing and now we see this like this data and stuff that doesn't actually have narrative or like in-game world impact like that's just for us the audience it's almost it's almost like our fourth wall break that we have been conditioned to be okay with with so many like years of gaming before us Mm -hmm. so this game is both on quest and pc so i think it's worth taking a little bit of time to look at that how that works you know the oculus quest is a very popular platform right now yeah uh, because it's standalone it's sort of the first VR console, but it is much lower power. So just looking at how that works, being on both platforms, will be a little bit informative. The first thing to talk about is that you play this game seated, uh, which is rather unusual, at least having seated as a primary mode. Most games uh, you play standing up, you use some amount of space around you, and the quest is great for that because it doesn't have a cable coming out of the headset. And so you can spin 360, you can move around totally unconstrained. Yeah. This game doesn't really leverage that. I was honestly expecting to be spinning around more in my computer chair like while playing this on Quest. But really, like I mentioned earlier, I was always just sitting down and facing forward because the kayak. And I think that's why this gets away with having seated play it's also just i guess more comfortable like you know standing for so long your knees get locked up or whatever based on how you're standing uh being able to sit down does allow the player to play longer but it also they just they they just had a really good concept that like matched this uh this play style and i think it utilizes it very well. Um, I don't feel like I have lost any sort of value from like having this on Quest and it not utilizing the full 360 because it just mm-hmm. delivers on that kayak fantasy well. I think it's worth thinking for developers who are, are thinking about future ideas. How can we create games where seated play works within the fantasy of the world as well? Yeah. But... One way in which the Quest version is potentially worse than the PC version is on the graphics, obviously. The Quest is has a mobile chipset, so you're basically playing on a phone versus the full power of your PC. Uh, and I actually, we both played this on the Quest, but I went back and I, I played the PC version because it has cross-buy uh, just to see the difference. And graphically, it is much better on PC. It mm. has atmospheric fog volumetric lighting for the flashlights instead of weird white circles on the water um yeah has the water has reflections the the lighting is more full and less flat but honestly the lack of visuals is not a huge deal for me in this game at least i mean these are very uh complicated things that they want to cram onto the device uh they get a lot of detail in like even at the lower scale or the lower fidelity scale they still get a lot of detail in 
Right. I mean, half the game is water and these spotlights from enemies having flashlights, as well as a bunch of animated meshes for the enemies. And like those things are notoriously intensive in terms of computation. So the fact that they got away with representing them on this mobile device and like it does its job in terms of putting you into the world. Yeah. Um, and in terms of putting us in the world, uh, did you experience like any sort of seasickness, motion sickness? I, f- I feel like for the most part, I've lost all s- sensibility of getting that in VR. I might have gotten a little bit disoriented, like at least at the very beginning with the um, turning and especially like the hard turning because it, it is a smooth rotation um, as you paddle. And like it does this thing where each time you paddle on a particular side, it imparts a little bit of rotation. So even if you're going straight and paddling, you know, right, left, right, left, it will wiggle your view left and right a little bit. Right. Uh, But there are options, you know, if you're very sensitive to this there, you can lock the rotation and only do snap rotations. And I think that's, that's very important because although the enthusiast audience uh, for VR will, sort of decry anything uh less than full smooth motion there's a whole casual audience that isn't as outspoken and they they want those options so it's good that they put that into the game yeah so i think uh overall uh based on my uh light research it seems like generally reviews are positive it's a stealth game in VR, but the kayaking aspect is very unique. Um, and what I mean by that is that there are a couple of stealth games out on the market right now, uh, like Aspire One, uh, Unnightly, um, and uh, and some more. But uh, these have very different experiences, like where you're where you're climbing things in the environment and doing these more sci-fi abilities. Um, whereas in this stealth game, it's way more kind of like almost tom clancy metal gear solid style so it gets it gets its cred there um it does a great job at grounding the player in their environment the biggest thing is that uh in terms of customer reviews a lot of people are agreeing that it's immersive and it's fulfilling that uh, fantasy of being this tactical operative with that We hope this conversation gave you, the listener, insight into how VR games are thought about and developed. If you liked this episode and want to hear more, please visit headmountedpodcast.com and sign up for our email list so you can get notified about new episodes. You can listen to the show on YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to discuss this episode or suggest future topics, please visit our subreddit, at reddit.com slash r slash headmountedpodcast. If you really love the show and want to help us out, please follow our Twitter at Mounted Head and our Facebook page at Head Mounted Podcast. And tell your friends about Head Mounted Destinations. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you at the next Head Mounted Destination.